Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hey, Karen, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Hey, um, I, from what I understand, you're based out in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts? I am personally, yeah. Obviously, I'm working from home, as most people are these days. Uh, LeoStream, the company I work for, our headquarters is in Boston, right downtown. How far is that from uh, from where you're at? From me, not far. I actually walk to work, so it's a couple miles, but I enjoy the time out. That's awesome. Hey, I'm, I'm looking in the background, and I see an MIT mug there, and I know that uh, Cambridge is home what, to Harvard, MIT, and probably some other schools. That must be an amazing place to live. It is. You know, I came out here to go to MIT, and then I just never left because I fell in love with the area. That's really cool. Um, is it, I mean... Uh, it's really close to Boston, and I, I like Boston, but is it a small town feel, Cambridge? Mm, it's it's that kind of typical right next to the big city suburb feel. The houses are all kind of smack next to each other, no yards to speak of. You know, it's pretty dense and everything, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a city mouse, my mom calls me, so I like it here. I, I did notice in the show notes that you are a um, a very active runner. I try to be, yeah, I actually just come back from the orthopedics this morning to see what's going on with one of my hips, but. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh -oh. Well, nothing, I, nothing I, think, I, I think that you, I, according to the show notes, it's something like you've run marathons in 45. 45 states, yep, five more to go. And three countries, which countries mm -hmm. were they? Uh, well, obviously United States. And then okay. I did Cozumel, so Mexico. Okay. And then I did a fantastic marathon in the Bordeaux region of France. And oh, there wow. were, in fact, yeah. 26 wine stops <laughs> along the way. Oh, that's awesome. That'd be amazing. Um, other than that one, or maybe that is the one, um, out of all of these marathons that you've run, is there one or two that just stick out as, oh, my God, that was an amazing experience? You know, the, the race I did in Wisconsin was right along the Lake Michigan shore, and it sticks out in my brain because that's the marathon where I actually qualified for Boston. So, and it was a windy, windy, windy day. So sometimes that was great because it was at your back and sometimes that was horrifying because it was in your face, but it was, a, it was a beautiful race because it was along the race, along the lake there. And just the finish where I realized I qualified, it was just an emotional <laughs> moment. No, that, that, that's amazing. What do you have to, uh, what kind of time do you have to achieve to qualify for Boston? You know, it really depends on your age and your gender, and they keep making the time faster and faster as, as more and more people turn into marathoners. My, my qualifying time at the time was uh, 3.51. Wow, that is uh, for me. That's lightning fast. I um I do a lot of biking, mostly mountain biking, but these days I'm doing the road, and uh, the bane of all road cyclists is the wind. So <laughs> it's just it's never fun. I mean, I'll take hills any day of the week over over the wind. But uh, hey, let me ask you. I mean, because you're in an interesting role, you're the, both the CEO and uh, head of product for LeoStream. Um, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background in terms of what LeoStream does and how you got into this space. And then I want to talk to you, uh, you know, about trends in, in the space. Mm -hmm. Sure. So what LeoStream provides, first of all, we're a, a small software company and we provide a remote desktop access platform. So if the company has been around for 20 years now. And if you think way back to 20 years ago, people talked in terms of virtual desktop infrastructures. And that's kind mm -hmm. of the space we grew up in was all about managing connections to desktops that are hosted somewhere other than where I'm sitting. 
and over the years, we've evolved our platform to really be more of a remote access, zero trust type platform. The whole idea being to authorize and authenticate users and give them access to resources either in the cloud or on-prem or wherever you want them to be, um, no matter where the user roams. So it's really the anywhere, anytime, any place kind of access with the security that enterprises require in, in this day and age. Right, and I mean, there are a lot of players in this space. Um, how do you, how do, how does one differentiate yourself from the competition? Right, there's really a couple of ways to look at that. One is based on the technology and the, our technology has always been focused on being vendor agnostic to okay. the rest of what people want to connect to. So any cloud, any virtualization layer, uh, wrecked workstations, we do a lot in verticals like media and entertainment where they have the GPU enabled workstations that they're connecting to. So it's really all about being flexible so that enterprises can build an end user computing environment that supports mm -hmm. remote access based on any of their business needs. So that's kind of the technology side of things. And then there's just the, the team that we are. We're not a, a VMware or a Zscaler or any of these other large type companies. We're a very, not very small, but we're a smaller boutique company that really tries to give that personal experience and support to our customers. And that's one of the things we hear consistently is that our customers enjoy and appreciate working with our team. I think that's a huge thing. I mean, when you can call a number and actually get a live person who knows you on the phone and they're going to answer your questions and solve your problems, it's 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 huge. And I don't know how many different co companies who have started off in that direction <laughs> and then to get acquired or whatever, and then you call a help desk and are on hold for 20 minutes to get connected to a call center on the other side of the planet. Um, so it's really frustrating. But um, what, let me ask you this, because if you're a smaller player, there's obviously probably concerns about well you mentioned one security uh but the just the, the the business viability and you know if i'm if i'm um procuring remote desktop services i i, I also you know if i'm going to advocate for a smaller company i need to be able to trust that company so are those concerns for prospective customers for you People will ask those questions, but they never end up being concerns. You know, if you think about it, for one thing, we have been in business for 20 years and we have done right. that for the last, you know, I hired in at 2008, which is when the company took funding out. We haven't mm -hmm. needed to take funding since then. We've been wow. self-funded and cash flow positive. So the fact that we have maintained that business structure um, really makes people, well, just confident in the, in the company from a company standpoint. And then our technology itself, for, first of all, we don't provide a service. We sell downloadable software. Mm -hmm. So people take the system and install it in their own environment. And so that really helps with the security story because we don't hold your data. We don't host systems for you. You, you meaning the enterprise, manage and maintain and secure all of that to your corporate requirements. So that's kind of the security uh, angle there. Let me ask you um, on the on the kind of drill down on security. Um, what questions do your customers ask you in the context of security? From for us, the questions they're asking us is really what can our platform allow them to do to secure remote access to corporate applications and data. And so the the things that become important are how am I authenticating my users? What level of 
multi-factor authentication do we support? You know, can I use my corporate identity provider and make sure that people use smart cards, different things like that. So we will help people integrate their authentication, their preferred authentication method with our platform so that they can ensure only authorized and authenticated users have access to the resources. So that's kind of the first piece is, is authentication. And then they're moving into authorization. Enterprises want our assistance in tuning all the dials and widgets that are part of our platform so that they can really lock down access based on who the user is, where they are, type of client they're coming from, and make sure that they're only getting access to the particular corporate applications and data that are required to do their job. So privilege access management, essentially. So those are the, the first two, you've mm -hmm. authenticated, you've authorized. After that, it's really about connecting users. And here is where we help enterprises um, get ditch the VPN, essentially. You know, VPNs over the last few years, we've seen they, they're expensive, they don't scale very well, they're a hit to performance for the users. So we have, as part of our platform, of a secure LeoStream gateway that will handle users' connections from anywhere to anything. Obviously, we will help them with their network architecture so that that's possible, but then they can get rid of the VPN and really have this smart gateway that only opens up the required route. So I'm sitting here at my desk. The machine you've said I'd have access to is sitting up in a private network in AWS. There's a LeoStream gateway in between there, and you want to make sure that from my IP, to a particular in other IP along a particular port, that traffic's allowed, but nothing else is getting in and no one else is getting in. So that's securing the connection to these resources. And then the last thing is really just tracking everything that's going on. A lot of mm -hmm. security is really about auditing and making sure, yes, my rules are configured correctly. Yes, they're being implemented correctly. And yes, I can see who is using what and how long and are there outliers in user behavior. Excellent. Are there any concerns about the actual uh, platform itself or the, the 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 code? Because I mean, you're 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 shipping uh, software, right? So, uh, and, and do you have to have? Is there any type of auditing process or uh, credential that you need to demonstrate? So we do third-party pen tests on our on our software so that we can actually hand someone a document if they need it that says yes, we've been pen tested and here's what the results are. And then often what we have is our customers take our software, they install it. And again, we work within large enterprises, you know, Fortune 500 type companies are using our software and they all have very good internal teams that will put software through the ringers as well. And occasionally they'll send us their pen test results if there's something that they want us to investigate. And we're very, again, because we're small and we're nimble, we can take these pen tests that come in or even just feature requests and bug problems people find and turn around really quickly and, and send out fixes and patches to customers and our, our customer base at large, really. Sure. Uh, and uh, just uh, where is your, your dev team? Just out of curiosity. We are primarily US-based, but we do outsource a little bit. Okay, excellent. Uh, what are some of the key metrics or trends related to um, performance? in your space that's a that's a good one because it's the performance that people care about when you're talking about remote access for end users is about the end user connection if i'm mm -hmm. connected to a machine and i'm playing a video is that video running in real time is the audio syncing up and the thing about the leo stream platform is we don't really come into play in the trans transmission of mm -hmm. the user's pixels 
we are the access control and the authentication and, and those pieces, kind of the security pieces. And then we partner with a number of different other parties to provide what we call you know, display protocols. So uh, MECDIN TGX, uh, HP's PC over IP, all these different technologies that actually remote the pixels in. And by and large, because these are end user computing environments. So it's the performance for the end user that matters the most. And the thing about our platform is when an organization picks a display protocol that gives the user the required performance, and then we support that whole the, the ecosystem around it so that they can use whichever protocol. You know, RDP works great if I'm just using Excel. If I'm doing hardcore post-production editing, then I need PC over IP and, and manage all of that within NeoStream. Excellent. Um... In terms of your, you know, growing your business, is it uh, do you have outbound sales or is it are you just fielding inbound leads or how does that work? Historically, it's been inbound leads, and in the last year or so, we've expanded out so that we have a larger marketing team, and we're also doing a big push with the channel. We've always sold both direct and through the channel, and we do have a number of really good partners who can have either built our platform into their solution that they're providing, for example, uh, like an oil and gas, a solution that's geared at oil and gas. Um, and we're looking at building out those channels so that we can find more solutions providers that can build our solution in, and also more just system integrators that can help end customers build the LeoStream environment into their entire end user computing mm -hmm. ecosystem. Because that's the thing is we're, we're, we're a slice of technology. Right that provides the security and the access control. And then you have to figure out what are you providing access control to? You know, where are you hosting that? What display protocol do you want to use? And so building out our channel will really allow enterprises and smaller organizations to find a trusted partner that can help them de design that whole system. If, if we looked at the end users though, do you have a specific industry or business profile that you feel is a really good match for your service? Historically, we have played very well in the high performance compute, high performance graphics space. So the verticals, media and entertainment, oil and gas, uh, aerospace, engineering, financial services, a little bit in healthcare, but power users who are connecting to large data sets and doing complex calculations and then doing a lot of visualization of the data. And we've been in that space for years and a lot of that is because we do have support for a number of different high performance display protocols but we have we also support rdp or vnc or even ssh and we have recently partnered with amazon workspaces core so that we can expand out and support different types of users too so knowledge workers who are just using office or other productivity apps so those are other users who can use our software Historically, they haven't been because we've been focused in the part of the enterprise that's more graphics intense, but now we're poised to kind of expand out. What are some of the the criteria that your customers use to evaluate, you know, different providers? Some of it is can can they support the display protocol that they want okay. to use? Because often an, an organization, because the end user performance is so important, People should start by thinking about which display protocol do I want to use? What's going to give the right performance? And, and it might not always be one. There might be multiple that I want to use. And then you need to think of, okay, now how do I want to manage access?
access to the resources that I'm connecting to using that display protocol? You know, what type of rules do I need to implement? Am I using pools or persistent desktops? And then they'll, based on those kind of requirements, they'll look to see, okay, which, which platform supports those types of, of workflows. So it is true that a lot in a lot of cases, opportunities and new customers come to us because they've they've picked a protocol and they go, oh, okay, I need to use this protocol. Oh, now I, I realize that I actually need to also use this other one. And I, I want to work with both AWS and on-prem VMware. And so I, they need a management solution that hooks into all those pieces and then they find Linktree. Do you or any of the competition provide sort of a, like a trial or to run a POC or something like that as part of the evaluation process? We almost 100% have people do POCs because we, we don't want to just sell people software. We want them to be successful. And so we almost without fail, we, we, we always will offer you a trial and we recommend that everybody takes it and tries it in their environment for however, you know, 30, 60 days. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm facilitating a trial, I will say, you know, what are the, um, criteria or, or what are what are the metrics that you're going to look at and and what do we have to achieve in order for us to call this a successful trial um do you do something similar and if so what what are the actual um uh, you know i mean you, you mentioned some kind of broad things um but I, like is there some very specific uh, metrics that they can target there there often are and it's it's very dependent on who the end customer is we we do a lot in dod and for them, it's they, my users have to use this PIV you know, cat card to log in. And so will that work? And so they sure. have to, they'll step through that and we'll make sure that they do a POC to make sure that authentication path works. So sometimes that's the first barrier is, can you authenticate users the way you want to using our platform? After that, a lot of times we provide a lot of tools for managing capacity in clouds. You know, the whole idea there to manage costs because I pay for compute when it's running and exists. So make sure it's not there if you know, it's middle of the night and no one needs to log in. So people will try our pools and work with the provisioning parameters that we provide to make sure that they can model the workflows that they need here, make sure they can spin up machines when they need them, tear them down, get the right types, you know, have all that, that kind of functionality. So that's another one is, can we manage capacity in the way that they need us to? And then the third is, you know, can can I connect users to sure. what they need to? Um, another thing that I've seen with trials is uh, oftentimes the success uh, is determined by the user's familiarity with the tool, platform, or service, right? And yeah, because there's always a learning curve, right? So if we can help kind of accelerate that learning curve or make that curve less steep um, or flatten the curve, I guess you could say, it, it, it makes it easier for them to fully engage and kind of optimize that trial. Uh, do you come across similar challenges? And if so, how do you manage that? We, we definitely do. It's, so we've done two things over time to kind of address that. You know, if you, if you were talking to me, say, three years ago, I used to sit and demonstrate, do demonstrations for customers, and at the end, they'd be looking at me like, oh, that was, that was a lot. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of usability and a lot of redesign on the interface to make it a, more usable. And, and now you sit in demos and people go, oh, okay, that's straightforward. It works more like a wizard. So we did some design work to make it a little more obvious how to set it up. 
And then there's the matter of, is it easy to set up now that I understand how? For that, because there's so many options, there's so many different workflows that you can model in our product. You have all this flexibility. And so we have um, quick starts. It's basically a little four hour package with our support team that uh, enterprises can purchase. And that will help them really just make sure that they're fine tuning the, all the options in our broker to get the type of workflows that they want. And those are pretty, you know, four hours of ProServe, that's a pretty low cost to make sure that you're optimized. I, a very good investment for sure. What, yeah. um, what effects did the pandemic have on your business or the industry uh, overall? Oh, tons, so much, so much. Because mm -hmm. before the pandemic, we were a tool for people to connect users from their desk to VMware in the data center or racked workstations in the data center. You know, people were all in the office. And then the pandemic hit and everyone went home and suddenly you had organizations saying, oh, okay, well, the desktops stayed in the data center and now my users are all home. How do I connect them? So we were just slammed at the beginning of the pandemic. Some of it was existing customers, getting them up and running with our, our LeoStream gateway because you don't need our gateway if everyone's on-prem, but they sent everyone home. And so without charge, we're like, okay, you own the platform here, take this gateway and you can, you can support remote work. And we did have one customer who was like, oh my God, it was great within a day. Suddenly everybody was up and running, it was so easy. So some of that was getting our existing customers gateways. And then we did add some extra features and functionalities uh, to support specific media and entertainment workloads mm -hmm. for all the post-production engineers that, that went home. So yeah, our business in that first year of the pandemic, our business doubled. Wow. And I think a lot of the industry saw that too, because remote work was huge and now, even now, you know, hybrid work is the way of the future. Some people are at home, some people are not. It's it's both worlds that you need to support now. And well, that's, and that's what I was going to ask you. Did you know? Did you see any like um, decline or reversal in your your growth? Um, because you, you know, you, you read about every day where companies are telling people you got to come back to the office, but most of the time it is that hybrid approach, right? Which means they still need that remote access. Yep. Yeah. No, we haven't seen any dip in business. We're still going gangbusters. It's really exciting. And it, it's like you said, people are still working from home. They're working from anywhere. And organizations have realized that by supporting a hybrid workforce, it's not just about, oh, I can work from home. It's about I can hire from anywhere now, mm -hmm. which is good mm -hmm. for the business. And it's about, you know, I can work when I'm traveling or, or just I have to, if some, I've got some emergency, I have to go somewhere, but I can still get to my corporate resources because I have this remote access platform in place. So it's really all these different business advantages to supporting remote work, um, as well as the advantage to the employees, which is, okay, I can I can work from home. <laughs> you, you know, an interesting thing is like, um, there's a lot of attempts to get this geo arbitrage where, okay, we can hire remote. And in some cases, that's still a competitive or cost savings advantage that if you can you know outsource to a lower cost area but there are certain fields for example developers that this remote work acceleration has actually enhanced their earning capacity so if we look at eastern europe for example just because you're sitting in eastern europe doesn't mean it's you're automatically going to be paid less than a developer in the us because at the end of the day, if you can do the work, and there is a shortage of developers, if you can get the work done, 
now companies can, you know, you know what I mean? The, the guy in, or the gal in Eastern Europe can charge the same as a developer anywhere else in the world because they have the, you know, this, the remote access. Are you, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, you see, you see com companies going both directions. Some mm. will say, you know, I don't, I don't care where you're located. A developer gets paid X. And then some are very much still taking into effect. Okay. You want to move to the, you know, Iowa, I'm going to pay you whatever the going rate is for sitting in Iowa instead of the going rate for sitting in New York City. So it, I think that's a company by company decision. Yeah, I would uh, tell them I'm in New York City and um, and uh, <laughs> just have that have that good background, you know, the skyline. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, I'm in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so, hey, um, you know, you, you, you're in an interesting role because you're both CEO and VP of, of product management. And first off, before I ask the question, let me uh, ask you, what is project product management in your definition? So for us, it's it's product, not project. So I'm not really looking at how the developers spend all the time. I'm, I'm yeah. managing the direction of the product. So which features are we scheduling in over the course of roadmaps, who should we have working on them? How is that design being done? And obviously I'm not making those decisions in a vacuum. We have a team that, you know, we work with our support team to make sure customer feedback comes in and work with developments to, to work on schedules and things like that. But I'll, for the most part, it's more the direction of the product is yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I mispronounced product and said project, but uh, I definitely yeah. meant product management. Um, but sometimes, like head of product, product, uh, product development, product management, they can be, have, be slightly nuanced in terms of the role. Oftentimes, yeah. head of product will um, they need to go to the CEO and negotiate and say, here's the here's the direction we want to take the product. But you are the CEO, so um, it, you alluded to the fact that you have a team and you don't make decisions in a vacuum, but. How do you how do you prioritize in terms of God? We really need to get the product to do this to maintain its competitiveness or to improve its competitiveness. At the same time, we've got some other you know priorities where we should allocate resources. So you know, walk me through that process. Yeah, we've we've actually split the development team so that we have a portion that is kind of looking at the competitive edge and the future of where is the industry going and so how do we how do we stay ahead of it because that's one of the things is LeoStream is very much an innovation kind of company when it comes to end user computing environments so if there's a new platform like hosting platform we think we need to add or a new display protocol in the market things like that different features we always want to be ahead and the first to put those out and so we have a side of the business that looks at that and then we have another side of the business, which actually has daily calls, meetings with our support team to make sure, okay, this customer needs are being met. Let's prioritize these fixes into a patch release. Let's work on this feature because we've had 10 people in support ask for it over the last year. So there's there's these two sides that are working side by side. And in the in the context of security, uh, because you know obviously the whatever tool or service or software you're uh, selling every company has to kind of be aware of what the competition is doing and what the current threat environment is so how do you you know what do you look at is it is it what your customers are asking for um, or are you ahead of kind of what they're asking for because you kind of need to be you know because sometimes they might not be aware of the latest threats um, how does that work 
a lot of it is listening to what our customers and what they need. And then when it comes to kind of the, the threat management, a lot of that is more in, in the deeps of things. You know, we're working on authentication, authorization, those things for our customers. And then we have the team that's looking at the underlying platform that we have and making sure all the open source, open source software is up to date and they're monitoring for you know, any vulnerabilities that may be out there and, and making sure that the platform itself is secure from that standpoint. Okay, and then in terms of, you know, you mentioned future trends in the technology, and that could be both, um, you know, the, t the type of technology that, you, you know, you're developing, but it also could be the technology that you interoperate with. Uh, did I just think I just made up a word, interoperate, the, 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 the different platforms that you have to operate with. Um, so how do you, you know, what are you seeing? And what are some of maybe the more important trends that you're going to see over the next, you know, six months, two years? Um, trends in the in the third party technologies, you think? Is that, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely more people moving to the cloud. Mm -hmm. We've seen that, and I think the whole remote work aspect has helped that because people realize, oh, I don't. If they're if my users aren't in the building, then maybe I don't need the data center in the building either. So we've seen more and more people investing in the cloud. That also helps with the security story because now I have my data and my resources locked up in the cloud, and I can secure that. So, so more and more cloud, and then also um, GPU adoption. This is a big one. You know, I, I mentioned that we have historically worked with these high-performance compute, high-performance graphics users who have mm -hmm. needed remote access to GPU-enabled virtual machines or physical machines. But with you know AI becoming more mainstream and GPUs becoming more prevalent, that 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 need and that desire to connect to GPU enabled machines is is trickling down to more of the masses, and so that's that's just going to continue, I think, and that means these people are going to want display protocols that can leverage those, and obviously tools that connect them to them. Excellent. Well, hey, uh, any any other information or news that you'd like to share um, about LeoStream or um, other you know other. Uh, events or organizations in the industry? Oh, well, uh, let's see. Oh my gosh, trick question. So, <laughs> I, I think we covered a lot. You know, we were, we were really going strong with our partnership with AWS. So we're planning mm -hmm. to have a presence with them at some of their shows later in the year. So if anyone's a big AWS user, they should come and see us. Awesome. Uh, and you mentioned some events. What, what... <laughs> We're looking at, we're investigating reInvent. We're also looking at maybe there's a, a reason to go over to IBC overseas. So that would be a good media and entertainment event for us. Oh, that that's actually uh, brings up an interesting question. What percentage of your business or your customers are um, outside the U.S.? We actually do a lot within the EU and more and more in EMEA these days. And we do have a really good reseller who handles APAT for us. So we are, our customers are global. Um, I would still say 70% are, are US-based. Excellent. Well, hey, Karen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I, I think this is the first time I've, I've sp spoken to somebody in your space. Um, I'm sure the, the future is bright. You, you, you mentioned the growth, but with all the new technology and the trends in that, I mean, it looks like you're in a great position. I'd like to wish you and your team an amazing second half of 2023. Well, thank you very much, Mark. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.